0: Mark chapter 14, verses 1 to 11. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him, for they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, As he is reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. Righto, well, we've been working our way through the Gospel of Mark, and we're really getting to the business end of it now. It's only two days now until the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And, of course, this is when Jesus was arrested, so we're coming up to Jesus' crucifixion really fast. And the chief priests and the scribes, well, they've already made their decision. They're going to kill Jesus. Um, They're just trying to find a way to do it secretly, uh, and preferably not during the feast because they don't want to have to deal with a riot. Why would there be a riot? Well, with all the interactions that Jesus has been having with the religious leaders at the temple, Jesus has been making a bit of an impression on people, and he's getting more and more popular. And so they want to be able to secretly arrest him and take him behind closed doors to try him. All right, So that sets the scene. In the message last week, um, Jesus has already made his judgment, right? So we've got the religious leaders. They've already made their judgment against Jesus. They're going to kill him. They haven't even done him the trial yet, right? The trial's still yet to happen, but it's just going to be a fast. It's a foregone conclusion. They're going to kill Jesus. But Jesus has made his own judgment. Um, Jesus made his judgment about the temple. He, as he left the temple, he said, not one stone will be left upon another. They're all going to be thrown down. And it's with those words that Jesus walked away from the temple, never to set foot in it again. No longer was the worship of God going to be tied to a building. The kingdom of God is something that's going to break into the world. And as the kingdom of God breaks into the world, it's going to go to people who were never even welcome in the temple. All right? And We see this in the reading today. Did you notice where Jesus turned up? He turned up at the house of a leper Simon the leper's house it was now who does that who goes to the house of a leper certainly not the chief priests certainly not the Pharisees the leper wasn't allowed in the temple because he was impure and and the religious leaders they couldn't have gone to the house of a leper because that would have made them impure and they wouldn't have been allowed to go to the temple either but Jesus left the temple And that's where he went. He went straight to the home of Simon the leper. Now, we don't know who this bloke is. We don't know why he's known as Simon the leper. He might have been somebody who was diagnosed with leprosy, but then he recovered from it. Or it mightn't have ended up actually being that. It might have been something else. And so he's allowed to come back home again. Or maybe the house still belonged to him. And now his family live there without him because he's been quarantined and been sent out of town into the bush somewhere. Or... Maybe he might be one of the lepers whom Jesus healed. And so now he's invited Jesus to his home. The thing is, we don't know. We don't know why he's known as Simon the leper. But wow, what a contrast we've got here. Jesus has been at the temple, this holy place, and he leaves the temple and he comes straight to the home of a leper. And, you know, some people feel that they're not good enough for Jesus, they think, oh, I'm not holy enough, I can't go to church, I'm not holy enough, I, I can't become one of those Christian people. But the thing is, Jesus went to the lowest of the low. He went to a leper. He, he went to somebody who was literally an untouchable. You were not allowed to touch him. He went to someone who was diseased, someone who was contagious. And for the safety of the whole community, he'd been isolated, most probably out of town. And Jesus went to his home. And at both of these settings, in the temple and at the home of the leper, uh, we have people making offerings to God. Okay, So a few weeks ago, we heard about the ones who were making an offering to God at the temple. There were those super wealthy people and, and they were giving out of their abundance, but they still kept plenty for themselves. But also at the temple, we heard about this one poor widow who gave everything she had, all she had was two small copper coins, enough for maybe one, maybe one or two meals for herself. And she didn't even keep one of them for herself. She put them both into that offering box for God. Now, nobody even noticed what she gave, except for the one who counts. Jesus noticed. And now at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, we have another woman, once again unnamed, and she poured out her lavish gift upon Jesus, all over him. Now, the thing is, different people give in different ways. And different people worship in different ways. And I know, I've been really challenged by this reading today, because I know at times I have been guilty of judging other Christians, and I've been guilty of judging other churches for being wastefully extravagant with what they do. Um, I've I've judged them for the amount of money that they might have poured into a flash building or or what they might have poured in to run a particular event. And yet when I read this passage for today, I feel somewhat chastened. And I realise I have no business questioning how another person uses what they have to worship God. And I have no business judging them, and I certainly have no business telling them that instead of spending what they did on on this lavish gift that they've given to God in some way that they should have given it to the poor. You see, it is to the Lord to whom we must give an account. They don't have to give an account to me, and they don't have to give an account to you. And yet, even by me saying this, even by me saying that they have to give an account, well, doesn't that, that ring of the fact that I, I, I'm already judging them? Oh, they're going to have to give an account to God to explain their wastefulness. right? But, and so God has really challenged me this week. As I studied the Bible reading and as, as I began preparing for the message today, I very quickly realised that I find myself on the wrong side of Jesus on this one. Uh, It's like we've got this jar of ointment, pure nard, very costly, worth virtually a whole year's wages. That's what it's equivalent to, like 300 denarii. A denarii was the going rate for a day's wages. So it's virtually a whole year's wages worth. And she broke it open. And she poured the whole lot of it over Jesus' head. Now, I can't picture that I would ever do anything like that. I would never buy it in the first place. Yes, um, anybody who knows me would know that I never bought that perfume for Robin. I I just don't buy perfume. Um, By the way, since the kids' story, it smells like the counter. You know how you walk through all those counters at Myers and you sort of go, oh, it smells different here. It smells just like that up the front here at the moment, since the kids' story? And I know that if I was there, I would have been one of those who were saying, oh, this should have been sold and given to the poor. I know that I would have been saying it. Or if I wasn't saying it, I certainly would have been thinking it. But Jesus' words today reveal my hypocrisy. You see, I wouldn't have any problem at all spending a whole year's wages on buying a new motor vehicle if I needed a new motor vehicle. And I have every opportunity all the time to give what I have to the poor. Why would I judge someone else's gift to Jesus as being wasteful? Verse 4. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. Right now it tells us that, that they're saying this to themselves. Now they might have been muttering it. They might have been thinking it. Whatever. Whatever it was, it was in their hearts. And they were judging her in their hearts. And they were scolding her. You, you know you don't, actually, you don't actually have to say something to be judging someone. You know, sometimes we might feel somebody and be judging them on the inside, and, but we don't say it, so we think, oh, well, I haven't judged them. You see, silence says a lot. I bet you all have that special person who, um, when they give you the silent treatment, you know you're being judged. Um, a look tells a lot. I bet you all know that special person who, when they give you a look, they don't say, say a single word, but you get the look, and it's like, oh, I think I might have done something wrong just then, or a gasp. Well, oh, that betrays a lot, doesn't it? When you, oh. But Jesus doesn't even need those kinds of tells. Jesus can see right into our heart. He can see right into your heart. He can see right into my heart. And he knows our hearts. He knows our minds. He knows what we're thinking. And Jesus said to them, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you'll not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Right, this was her personal act of worship. It was her personal act of devotion to Jesus. And they were pointing the finger, oh, that should have been given to the poor. But Jesus turned it right back on those who were judging her. He says to them, for you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. You see, When it comes to giving, whether we give to God, whether we're giving to the poor, it's not supposed to be one or the other. It's supposed to be both. And this is something that I learned a long time ago. The biblical principle is to be generous in all ways. You yeah, know some people think of Christianity as it's just a thing about doing good. It's just a thing about being nice. It's just and they sort of emphasize on the whole social justice thing and, and that's all that Christian that's the important part of Christianity and and worshiping Jesus is seen as an optional extra. No, it's not. Worshiping Jesus is paramount. It, it it is some of the most important, right? We are saved we are saved through the sacrifice of Jesus. And we're seeing this. This is the very act of the lead-up here. It's like her, Jesus' body is being anointed, ready for burial. What can we do in response to what Jesus has done for us? We can't do anything in response other than worship. That's the only thing that we, we can give God that is of any value. So it begins with Worship. But that doesn't mean that we neglect our social responsibility. And so the biblical principle is to be generous in all ways. We we be generous by tithing regularly to the church so that ministry can be funded and the gospel can be preached to the world. When, When a church ceases to tithe, the advance of the gospel in that district slows down. We be generous by giving sacrificially. To other Christian ministries, to missionary organizations and parachurch groups. We give to the chaplaincies, we give to, to missionaries, we give to people who are planting churches in other areas, um, helping people to start up new ministries in places. Uh, we give sacrificially in this way. And when a church stops giving sacrificially to other ministries, the gospel slows down. But we're also to always, always be generous to those who genuinely need it. We always need to be generous to the poor, to feed the hungry, to help the sick, to help the blind and the lame. That's what Christian people do. That's what disciples of Jesus do. It was interesting to watch the way the, the world views what, Christians do. Um, you'll remember a few months ago when Israel Folau was sacked by Rugby Australia. Um, you would have heard on the news when he set up a crowdfunding page so that people who wished to support his legal expenses could do so. Right, It was a means for people to donate so that he could take his case to court and make the case of his unfair dismissal on the basis of religion. And a whole heap of people from various sectors of the community were donating money to this cause, but the next thing that happened was all these people started bagging Christians for making donations to fund this legal case instead of giving money to the poor sick kids who are also on the GoFundMe pages. You see that they were making an assumption that, and they were making a statement. They were judging without having any knowledge Christians and saying that that Christians will, will only give to one cause and that if they give to this cause, they won't also be giving to another cause. And I heard one Christian respond to this at the time. He said something along the lines of these people who are against Israel Falal, and are against Christians in general are making the assumption that Christians will only give to one cause. And if because they've given a few dollars towards this, they're not going to care for those who need it. And that's just not true. See, there are always opportunities for us to give to the poor. That doesn't mean that we put it off. That means that we take advantage of those opportunities. As disciples of Jesus, we should be giving to those who are genuinely in need. But some people, usually those who hate Jesus, will see what you do and see what I do, see what we give to God, and they will judge us as wasting money. Oh, you shouldn't be giving to the church or you shouldn't be giving to that cause or whatever. You should be giving to the poor instead. No, we should be giving to both. And it would be very interesting Next time that anyone tells you, oh, you shouldn't be giving money to support this mission or that mission or whatever, and said you should be giving it to the poor, it'd be very interesting to turn it back onto them and, and say, well, how much do you give to the poor? Do you think I don't give to the poor? Because that's what Jesus is doing here. They criticised her de- devotion to Jesus and they dressed it up as a concern for the poor. And Jesus turned the tables on them. You give to the poor. If God has given you this passion to give to the poor, then don't let anything stop you in that passion. But as for that woman, what she has done for for me, Jesus said, is beautiful. She's done a beautiful thing. She has done what she could. Now That's an interesting turn of phrase. She has done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand for burial. And she would have had no idea that she was doing that. She just knew that she loved Jesus a lot. And she expressed it in the way that she could, having no idea that she was anointing his body for burial. We saw this in the temple, that the widow gave everything that she had, two small copper coins, and she probably had no idea That God noticed. She probably had no idea that God knew that she'd given everything she had. But not only God knows, we know. And now Jesus has turned his back on the temple, and here's another woman who is also giving this lavish gift to God. And Jesus knows she's done what she could. Now, we don't know how she came to be with this jar of very expensive perfumed ointment. We don't know where it came from. We don't know how she came to be with it. Maybe it was an inheritance. Maybe it was payment for something. We don't know. She just had it. And we know it was worth a fortune. And in her devotion, she gave all of it to Jesus. She actually broke it open. And poured the lot out there. She wasn't going to put the lid back on until it was finished. And there will be times that you give lavishly to Jesus. And you won't even know why. But you, you just know that God has put it on your heart to give a lavish gift to God. And God takes it and uses it for his glory. And you don't even know how he's going to do it. That was the case of That woman. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Sometimes people like to give a gift because they want their name to be remembered, right? You've seen it. Um, A family might have a loved one die and so they might make a donation to, to a church and they nice new communion table or something and they put a plaque on there in memory of so-and-so um, or somebody might make their own gift and so that their name can be on a foundation stone or a plaque or something so that their name will live on and so that people will know and remember that they were a generous person. Now, we here at Bush Disciples, we obviously don't have a church. Um, we don't have any fern- fanny- fancy furniture. Um, We just meet in halls and whatnot. But if it is ever the Lord's plan for us to have a permanent place for us to meet, and if we ever have our own building, I do hope that we never have any plaques on any furniture. I do hope that we never have any plaques announcing that this was in memory of so-and-so, that this building was built or this building was bought. Anything that gets given to God is not given so that we can be remembered. We give, and we give lavishly because we adore Jesus. That's the sole reason we should give, is because we adore Jesus. Now, Jesus said, whenever the, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be told in memory of her. So pop quiz, I'm just gonna see who was listening carefully to the reading. What was her name? Can anyone remember her name? There wasn't a name, was there? Jesus didn't say her name. Mark didn't tell tell us her name. You see, what Jesus wants to remember about her isn't her name. He wants us to remember her act of lavish devotion to the one who is going to die for her. No, we don't know a name. But wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, we are going to be reminded of that lavish devotion to God that she gave and that it isn't a waste. And the gospel is being proclaimed here in this place today and you and I are being reminded that lavish devotion to God Is not a waste. She didn't do it to seek glory for herself. She didn't build a monument so that she could have a name written on a foundation stone. What she did was she just seized the moment and did what she could. And that's all God is requiring of any of us. She gave what she had in devotion to God. Now we got a lot to learn from that. And I've already learned a lot from it. And I'm sure I'm going to learn a lot more from it. Lavish devotion to Jesus is not a waste. But some people will be very disturbed by it. Let me share something with you about the way that Mark writes. And it's the way that he sometimes brackets things in the, in the, in the gospel. He introduced this story by telling us that the religious leaders were looking for a way to kill Jesus, but they didn't have it yet. That's how it was introduced. He then tells the story of how this generous, lavish act is despised by some people who were there with Jesus. But Jesus corrects them on it, and he says to them, you give to the poor, she's done a beautiful thing. And then immediately following this incident, Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, decides that he's going to betray Jesus, right? Do you see how it's bracketed? So we saw an example of the brackets back in in the example of the fig tree in the temple, right? So when Jesus was going to the temple, he sees this fig tree, beautiful, lush tree, but no fruit, and he curses it. They then go to the temple, and we find that the temple, um, it's all looking very flash and all very religious, but there's no fruit of righteousness happening there. And then he leaves the temple and the fig tree's dead, right? So what was happening there? He'd bracketed it with the example of the fig tree and the lesson there was, hey, the fig tree wasn't fruiting, it died. The temple didn't have the fruit of righteousness, it was going to come to an end, it was going to die. Right, so that's the way he brackets things and now he's bracketing it here. They're looking for a way to kill Jesus without a fuss. And then immediately after the incident, Judas goes and offers to sell Jesus out. It's almost like this woman's devotion to Jesus is what tipped Judas over the edge. And you know what? It is. It is. So on one hand, we have this woman who sacrifices this lavish gift For Jesus, she gives up everything for him. And then on on the other hand, we've got Judas. He's supposed to be an insider. He's supposed to be one of Jesus' closest followers. And he goes and offers to get money to sell Jesus out. Something tipped Judas over the edge. And in the Gospel of John, he straight out tells us that it is Judas. Judas. Judas is identified as the one who is griping about the waste. That's what the Gospel of John tells us. Mark doesn't tell us that straight out. He tells us with the bracketing. This is why. This is the thing that tipped Judas over the edge. Anyway, as I said before, I am personally deeply challenged by today's reading different people give to God in different ways and different people worship in different ways and in the past there have been times when I've seen lavish gifts given in devotion to God and I've judged them and I've said what a waste and I have actually used that exact same line oh look at the money that this church is spending while the poor are starving and I guess in the light of today's reading, I'm ashamed of myself for the times when I've said that. I have been judgmental and I need to repent of that. I have no business questioning another person's devotion to Jesus. And if I care for the poor, and I should care for the poor, guess who should be giving to the poor? Me. And if you care for the poor... And you should care for the poor. Guess who should be giving to the poor? You. Our devotion to Jesus doesn't exclude our caring for the poor. And I've sort of thought about this on on the bring it even closer to home. At various times, people have suggested that bush disciples should get their own little building. And and I've always immediately reacted against that suggestion and, oh, no, 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 that would just be a waste of money, be a waste of money. See, for me, it's a natural aversion to spending money on something that we can live without. And that's one of the things I've been challenged with. What if one day it is God's plan... For us to do something like that, would I stand in the way of it? Well, before today, I would have said definitely yes, I would be standing in the way of it. But now, I realise that if the Lord ever reveals that it's His will to do that, then we shouldn't stand in the way of people's lavish devotion to Jesus. We all give in different ways. Now, I'm not saying at all we have any plans for that. We don't. And as I've told you, I have my natural disposition is never do something like that. But I've just had to question myself in how I judge people's devotion to Jesus. The truth is we can be lavishly devoted to Jesus and give to the poor. Might leave it at that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we want to thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us never lose fact uh, sight of the fact that um, this gift was given in preparation for Jesus' burial. She was acting with foresight. We act with hindsight. And the Lord, let us give to you in lavish devotion to you as our act of worship of the one who died for us. But Lord, help us to never neglect the poor. Lord, give us hearts of love and compassion. You told us that we will always have the poor among us, and this is true. And it's never has it been more true than in this era where we are truly a global community, we cannot turn a blind eye to the poorest of poor in the world. And Lord, we ask that you would give us hearts of compassion that we would give and give generously. And Lord. We confess to you that there's been times when we have looked at another person's gift which was given as an act of worship to you and we have judged them as being wasteful. And Lord, we ask for your forgiveness for that. Lord, forgive us for judging their gift to you. And Lord, we repent of this. Help us to not judge someone else as giving inappropriately, but instead help us to give as you call us to give. In Jesus' name, amen.